Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights, advice, and everything therapy rehab. I'm your host, Scott Rongo, and today I'm joined by Larry Benz, the Executive Chair and Founder of Confluent Health. Thanks for uh, joining us today, Larry. Oh, you're welcome. I'm, uh, I'm honored and pleased to be part of this discussion. Awesome, awesome. So, Larry, I think you know you're you're no um, you're not new to the space. Uh, you've been in, in it for quite some time, but maybe for our, our audience, just give a little bit of background on yourself and um, share a little bit about what you've done. Sure, I'm uh, I'm a physical therapist by background. I am the founder and, and currently the executive chair, having just migrated from uh, CEO to executive chair of Confluent Health. Uh, Confluent Health is a physical therapy platform, if you will. We're a holding company that has um, interest in education, outpatient clinics. We have over 600 of them. We have a, uh, a division that manages lots of hospitals around the country's physical therapy and rehab. And then we have um, an occupational health group called Fit for Work, amongst other things that we do. Um, I've been a physical therapist since the mid-80s and um, have been very, very involved in private practice in all things sort of education through our EIM, Evidence in Motion, uh, uh, company. Awesome, awesome. Well, like I said, we are just delighted to have you on the program. And you you and I were together, I want to say a few months ago at a dinner um, with about 15 folks. And a conversation of topic that got brought up was the PT labor shortage that that we're faced with. And uh, you, know, you had a lot of perspective and insights and clearly through your background and, and the work that you guys have been doing, um, you know, we, we thought it'd be a good idea to maybe bring you to this program and have that conversation for a broader audience. And again, certainly appreciate you and, and thank you for doing so. Um, so maybe just at a, at a high level, talk through you you had a lot of data there was a lot of commentary around it but pt labor shortage what's what's the your overall consensus yeah you know i'm really passionate about this topic for a number of reasons you know all of us that are pts have had this journey of how we became a pt did we get accepted the first time did we get accepted in the school that we wanted to and i've had this sort of burning desire to make sure from a legacy standpoint, that um, our best and brightest students become physical therapists, that uh, they're enabled to, and that they have the opportunity to. And, you know, what I can tell you is that the shortage, and we'll get into some detail here in a bit, is nothing new. It's been predicted as early as 2012, arguably earlier than that. And so what we're seeing is the result of the shortage and the shortage itself. Um, you know, we've had this sort of dilemma in physical therapy about trying to control the number of individuals that become PTs. And I think that um, what we could look back on backwards, unfortunately, is that that was not well grounded. Uh, but happy to, you know, get into this more as, uh, as you like. Yeah. So, you know, you could start to see it, like you said, back in. 2012 roughly right but what what are what are some of the what are some of the causes right like like what how how did we how did we get to this point where we are today 
Yeah, I'm happy to walk through that. I think, you know, as I I think about this topic, I think about a great quote by Oscar Wilde, which is there are two tragedies of life. One is not getting what one wants and the other is getting it. Well, (laughs) in physical therapy, you know, we have data, we have evidence, we have efficacy on the use and interventions of physical therapists on the use of physical therapists is for force multipliers that can direct care initially, particularly in musculoskeletal. Uh, musculoskeletal is about $300 billion industry. And we need physical therapists to curve this problem. You know, about a dollar out of every $6 is spent in aches, pains, sprains, and strains. And in order to do this, we got what we want through evidence and efficacy and demonstration of our value. However, the tragedy is we don't have enough PTs. And my concern is that we have this market opportunity and we don't want to fall flat on our face. This is not a new thing. Uh, early as 2012, the APTA's workforce um, report at that time um, demonstrated the shortage, as has the Bureau of Labor Statistics every time they publish data. But all of this has gotten amplified uh, during COVID. So if you'd like, I'm happy to sort of walk through the players, the history, if you will, current status of where they're at you know um you just turn the turn the spigot on and let me go (laughs) yeah let's let's do it let let's let's deep or let's dig deeper uh into it absolutely that'd be great yeah so you could so just by background uh dr john childs uh, one of the other co-founders of evidence in motion um along with some other uh really good fine folks have written about this and, and lectured about it extensively but it probably helps to talk a little bit about who are the players because those of us that are in private practice which i imagine is a good portion of your audience uh may not know some of these organizations or know them that well they might know their acronyms um and the first one is the American Council of Academic Physical Therapy what we sometimes call ACAPT A C A P T that's their um, that's their initials. And that's a nonprofit, and they're really dedicated to making sure that all physical therapist entry level education is excellent. Um, they are the leaders. They have 95% of all U.S. accredited PT programs are represented by these folks and, you know, roughly 250 to 260, you know, institutions. Um, I actually point the finger a little bit about at them for causing this sort of temporary hiccup into publishing the fact that we don't have a shortage. So in May of, or I'm sorry, in March of 2020, so we're talking effectively right around the time COVID began, they actually uh, published some some data and articles saying that, um, you know, one, increased student debt has outpaced the rate of salary growth. They're very accurate on that. It absolutely has. That there's a nationwide shortage of faculty of PT, which is true. There's about one to two open faculty positions at every program. And that there's this increased competition for clinical education sites. You know, at the same time, they uh, believed that looking at the Bureau of Labor Statistic data, in particular, the fact that there were fewer reimbursable visits per episode all that to be said they came up with this very faulty conclusion that physical therapy employment does not match bls projections and they estimated that there would be a surplus of twenty-five thousand physical therapists by 2030 let me repeat that they predicted 
a surplus by over 25,000 by the year 2030. Now, I'm not, uh, you know, bad-mouthing ACAPT. They're a wonderful organization. We need them, and we need them engaged in a collaborative process here. But their data uh, was flawed. But here's what they did that was actually worse. They sent letters to every higher education institute basically saying, if you're looking at opening up a PT program, forget about it. it. You know, Mm. don't expand your current size. Um, please don't, don't, you know, increase tuition. And as you well know, PT programs in a higher ed institute have no control over tuition. That's determined, mm-hmm. you know, much, much more. So, um, and they publish this, by the way. So in response, Dr. John Childs, myself, um, a, a couple of data folks that we enlisted for their help, as well as Dr. Mike Walker, um, you know, very noted physical therapy, uh, you know, academic who's led programs, who actually works with Evidence in Motion, we published an article that came out around 2021 in October that basically said, we're going to challenge these assumptions about the future and the supply and demand of PTs in the United States. And what we did was we, we demonstrated that, that ACAPT and APTA significantly underestimated the current demand for PTs. Now, let me tell you, APTA has had a number of workforce analysis in many years. 2012, for example, they predicted a shortage of 19,000 PTs. In 2017, they predicted a shortage of 45,000. However, when they updated their assumptions in 2020, what we consider very shoddy work, um, they helped predict this surplus of PTs. Now, APTA has since effectively, you know, put that workforce development survey on the shelf and said, yeah, we, we agree there's, there's, this analysis was flawed. Unfortunately, though, because all those letters went out to the programs, it really, it really has hurt the situation where we're at now because we can only produce the number of PTs that we have, you know, in the physical therapy schools. There's one other factor, though, that, that people oftentimes forget prior to 2001. We all remember 911. We would actually have about 10,000 PTs enter the United States, foreign trained therapists, and about half would pass their exam. So that was about 5,000 PTs, and we would produce about 5,000 from the schools. That was roughly 10,000 per year. To date, we're only producing, and that was largely eliminated after 911. And so from 2001 to 2023, we now are only producing about 11,000 PTs per year. So about the same as we were back in 2001 and with the expansion of the field. Now that seems, you know, seems to be common sense, but as we all know, common sense isn't necessarily common practice. And we have high attrition in our practice. Um, you know, uh, and, and at the same time, we also have a geographical variability. You know, in the Midwest, Rhode Island and Vermont, you know, they have enough PT programs to satisfy their demand, but virtually the rest of the United States does not. And so it's also very regional. You know, so if you're in Rhode Island or Vermont, you may not feel a shortage. If you're in New York, Connecticut, California, Washington, many, many, in fact, most other states, we have some graphs that demonstrate this, by the way, um, you're going to see these shortages and feel them, you know, very, very real time. So, 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 so program, yeah. programs start to slow down, right? Yep. There's also the then, uh, applicants. So are the programs, are they filled to capacity today? Right? Like are, are, you know, 
are folks going in saying we we want to be PTs or but there's just not enough capacity to for the education for it or is it you know programs are are not um, being filled either that that is absolutely the right question so what is the other major constraint is another regulatory body called CAPTI, the Commission on Accreditation of Physical Therapy Education Programs. They have a monopoly. They are the only ones that have the authority to expand DPT education. Um, if you're in nursing, for example, there are at least two to three organizations that are allow you to expand. But we have one in PT. Now, again, not bath-mouthing them. They're a volunteer organization. They're a wonderful group um, who's, who seeks to you know, expand PT education. But because of the fact that they're volunteer, they only have one cycle per year. Um, you know, it's, 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 the bottleneck is there are lots and lots of schools that want to have PT programs, but they're about five years behind relative to um, the ability to get programs approved. The other thing that they've not typically done very well, and it's starting to change, is they've not embraced the innovative programs. So a rough statistic is that in, in medical, and if you want to become a physician, an MD, they have about a third as many programs producing three times as many physicians as we do. Our class sizes in PT tend to be ridiculously small and inefficient, very, very expensive. And because they're the only credentialing organization, you know, they have a peer review process and it becomes a waiting line. So lots and lots of programs want to become approved, but they're only two times per year. And they're really only review six programs in a cycle or about 12 per year. So, you know, historically, they actually get together about four times per year to review them. And so if you really think about it, it represents a 75% reduction in the ability to review the capacity over the next 10 years. Now, part of that is because of lack of resources. Part of that is, you know, some of the incumbent programs are slowing down. And so if you look and you had what we call the CAPTQ, these are the number of programs, um, you know, that would like to be approved. It's five years out from the initial submission to launching a program. Now, it only takes 18 months to 24 months to develop a DPT program. And so the average program is is three to three and a half years. The, the take-home point on all this, by the way, is that this shortage is not going away quickly because there's this bottleneck. And so we have worked tirelessly with other organizations to encourage more volunteers. Um, again, CAPTI has a lack of resources. We need to help them with that, allow them to expand the number of review cycles per year. And if a program is the financial means, you know, so if you're university ABC and you already have hired your faculty, you're willing to go and you're financially have the wherewithal to do it, they should jump to the top of the queue rather than have have to wait because many other programs during the waiting period might not have the financial wherewithal, the staffing, being able to, you know, have hired the appropriate number of PTs. So, you know, that is the the other major factor here is the bottleneck. Yeah. You know, question that comes to mind is, you know, if they, if you can only review four to five per year, right? Like I'm assuming there's more applicants than that, than, you know, in a given year, who, who gets, who gets put to the top of that list for review, right? Is there a qualification Right now, it's all—it's simply a function of time. 
you have a lot of programs, you know, in PT. If you think about innovation, many of the newer programs, and EIM has been at the forefront of this, have worked with universities to go from a three-year program to a two-year program, drastically reducing the cost for students. Um, instead of taking, you know, 30 students, take 100. And then on top of that, you know, put them in their internship of six months, their last two years that they can, you know, they graduate. And lastly, it doesn't have to all be brick and mortar. They, they can do it in a hybrid blended environment, which blended and hybrid actually wins. As it turns out, when you look at educational outcomes, not just for PT, but all of education, it's the blended that works. And so a lot of folks our age are surprised, or my age anyhow, <laughs> Scott, are, are surprised that you know many students who are on campus as undergraduate, up to 47 to 48, and soon to eventually be 50% of them, are taking online, a, a couple of courses online while they're sitting in their dorms. Um, so, you know, blended is, is the right approach and there's been a failure by the traditional incumbents to, you know, expand their programs. It's getting a little bit better, but unless we get this bottleneck solved, the shortage is not going away quickly, which is really problematic because musculoskeletal spend has gone way up where we have the largest, you know, factor to play, the largest sandbox to play in terms of uh, lowering cost and providing a better, you know, outcome. Well, and not certainly not to make light of it, but there's just this week they came out with a study on um, uh, the cost that the increased healthcare cost of what pickleball is doing. And I don't know, uh, but here in in Indiana, pickleball is all the craze, and um, it's it. I think it there's going to be a lot more need for PT just even based on pickleball uh, play uh, across the country. So, so that. I feel like we know at its core one of the challenges, right? But man, fixing that bottleneck is not a it's not an easy task, right? Um so what, you know, recommendations, thoughts on what you all have been doing to try to assist with that or, you know, if you're a listener sitting there saying, "Yeah, we know the problem, right?" but what what can I do, right? What what can lonely Scott Rongo do to to help out, um, you know, for ten years from now to to help address the issue? Thoughts, comments around that? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think you have to take a holistic approach. You know, on an individual level, please volunteer with CAPTI. Demonstrate your willingness to, um, you know, be in an academic review light. Um, they're always looking for more volunteers, but the holistic solution is really to collaborate. We have to get ACAP, the academic group, CAPTI, the Federation, um, organizations like APTQI, which I'm on, the American Physical Therapy Quality and Innovation. I'm sorry, the uh, association. You know, we're a nonprofit uh, comprised of many, many of the public and private equity-backed uh, large-scale PT groups. There are other groups involved as well, state associations. And we have to encourage APTA to, and we have to help fund it. We can't just encourage it. We have to have a clear workforce development department. What we've produced, as I mentioned, 2012, 2017, 2020, we produced workforce development, but particularly the last one was very flawed. So let's have a real department with real professionals, with real statisticians and demographers and uh, demo folks who really are experts in de demographics and predictions and who could take in the Bureau of Labor Statistics, who listen to market 
phenomenon. You know, in 2012, who would have thought we'd have the direct access pickup in MSK? Who would have predicted that MSK would be the number one spend now that we've got cardiology under control a little bit, oncology under control a little bit, diabetes under control a little bit? So all these, you know, combination of market dynamics and individual organizational perspectives need to be in a true workforce development nonprofit. I think APTA would be the place to house it. I think they have a willingness to do so. And we have to get all these groups at the table collaborating on it. We also have to encourage CAPTI to lighten up on this queue and um, to start approving programs. And until that happens, you know, then we're, 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 we're caught. Um, I think, you know, five, ten years out, we have a chance to really lighten the load of this, um, you know, this shortage. We also have to have a deeper understanding of the impact of burnout and of the regulatory impact on physical therapists and what that does to our profession. You know, people don't go into physical therapy to do notes, to do compliance, to do, you know, count eight-minute rules on Medicare, um, to worry about how many units and how many patients a day to produce, right? Those are all externalities. And we have to have a deeper understanding of that impact and its cause on attrition. You know, there's an estimation that 20,000 PTs have been on the sidelines since COVID. Maybe some of them have come back. We also know that about 15% of PTs are part-time by desire. They come into the profession wanting to work part-time. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Uh, but we have to take in all those into account in order to really you know, solve the problem. The symptoms are the shortage, but the, the, the reality is we have to take a holistic view, diagnose it, and game plan it correctly. Yeah, no, it makes, makes a ton of sense. Well, Larry, I think we're about out of time, but anything that you would want to leave our audience with before we, before we put a close? No, I just, you know, just the, the, the subtle message that, you know, we have a tremendous profession. We want our best and brightest to go into it. We also have to have a holistic response to student debt, uh, to burnout, um, but shortages. Those are the, those are three top priorities, and, and it's incumbent upon us as professionals and as PTs to help resolve and solve those. Yeah, uh, well said. Well, we appreciate the time today. Appreciate you joining us, and uh, you're welcome anytime. Thanks, Scott. Really, uh, thanks for the opportunity to get this conversation moving and uh, get it top of mind for our profession. Absolutely. And, and thank you to the audience for tuning into the Therapy Matters podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. Look forward to seeing you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much and have a great rest of the day. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot jones at raintreeinc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, therapy and rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at raintreeinc.com.